Expounded Universe, Season 22, Episode 1, The Star Cave of... Star Cave? The book, Lando Calrissian and the Star Cave of Thon Boca, by L. Neil Smith. The year, 1983. Chapters 1 through 3, with your host, Jeff and John! Let's go! Whee! <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome back to Expounded Universe. We've taken a little time off, but here we are, back at the beginning of a whole new book. I can't wait to get started. I'm Jeff, that's John right there. Yes, it is, Dean. Mm-hmm. And we are wrapping up a trilogy. That's right, you've gotten mad at us in the past for not ju- for just doing one book out of a series. Well, by God, this time we did them all. Yeah, because it's only in one book. We you didn't know, have to get another book. <laughs> to buy more books. And also because it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as far as the standards for what we read, yes, it's yeah, great. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah, I mean, do, uh, would you like me to pick, like, the best Star Wars books next time? No. Okay, of good. Of course not. That's not what we do. That's not, that's no. That's never been our oeuvre. <laughs> that's not where I live. Yeah. You know I live in the trash. I, I, I'm so addicted to this that we were literally just at dinner a moment ago, and I had brought a Harry and David Christmas catalog with me so I could make fun of it. Yeah. Because all I do all the time, forever, is make fun of things I think are stupid. Hey, there's nothing better than, you know, a box with five pairs in it for $90. <laughs> that's that's just a wonderful gift for the family. One of them's wrapped in completely worthless gold foil. Yeah. But you'll be paying us $66, and we'll ship you just pairs. <laughs> <laughs> Are they special pairs? Goodness, no. We're going to claim they are. They come from the far-off Valley of Oregon. Ah, so far away and (laughs) ancient and storied. No one's ever heard of Oregon. I believe there are still dinosaurs that roam that land. Why, I believed it was only a myth, and Mm -hmm. that is why the game was called Oregon Trail, for it was a high fantasy tale. Similar to how the Yukon Trail game actually took you to the Yukon, a made-up land. Indeed, Mm -hmm. and how it was filled with... Silly things that don't exist, like dysentery and snakes. (laughs) Or in the case of the Yukon one, towns that couldn't possibly be real, like Skagway. (laughs) What a silly name for a place that that doesn't exist. Skagway, Alaska. That can't be real. (laughs) What is this, Narnia? Please. (laughs) Am I going to be visited by Mr. Tumnus? I hope not. I've got that guy on a list. (laughs) Dude, Tumnus, put a shirt on, man. (laughs) Just put a shirt on. (laughs) You're within 500 feet of a school, please. (laughs) Mr. Tomnus always struck me as the kind of guy I run into a lot at, like, my friend's burner parties. <laughs> it's like this dude who will not put a shirt on, only wants to talk about old-timey music. Oh, for sure, there's a guy long scarf. who's in, like, oh, my pants are made out of uh, pure hair, I've got a scarf mm-hmm. and a top hat, and you can call me Mr. Tumnus. And I'm like, <laughs> I will leave. I want your real name. Oh, it's Bryce. Uh, well, of course it is. Of course. Thanks. <laughs> I'll, you know what? Me, I'll your, call you Mr. Tumnus. Is your last name Tumnus? It is not. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> what is going on with your hair? Do they have haircuts in the world outside? Not so here in the Narnia party. <laughs> it's just Mr. Tumnus, too. None of the other woodland creatures and crap that you encounter in the in the realm of Narnia strike me as burner types. No, man. Mr. Beaver is just a good dude. Yeah, he's just a hardworking guy. 
And Aslan is just like a Jesus lion. He's just Jesus. He's just Jesus. So you're not going to get him. And, and the Caller Men, I can't imagine they'd be cool to hang out with at Burning Man. No. Nah. So I don't know. I, I just, Mr. Tumnus just has a vibe to him. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Mr. Tumnus, weird sexual energy. <laughs> Mr. Tumnus is the best sex that your girlfriend has ever had, though. <laughs> Guarantee you ask her. You just ask your girlfriend, like, how was, uh, uh, tell me the how, truth. how was that trip through the wardrobe yeah. and she's like she's like look mr tumnus doesn't pay taxes and he <laughs> he has hair instead of pants look there's a reason <laughs> that mr tumnus is so hot and it's because he doesn't pay taxes <laughs> so how are you doing Mm-mm-mm. i'm doing good yeah that's good to hear i've got a good thing going on me and mrs jones <laughs> I'm Bring excited. Her on. We could use guests. <laughs> I'm excited to be back for a new book uh, and finishing out this trilogy. Uh, it's Thrilogy. <laughs> this Thrilogy. Mm-hmm. This Tour de Thrills. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, we've we've done two of these so far. And again, I'm like, this is neat. I like having none of the, you know, main trio from the movies. I like never having the force be a thing that exists. Yeah. It's just a fun time. There's been like one reference to the force in all of these books so far, mostly just to establish that no, that's it is not, not the what, force. That's not what Roker Gepta is doing. <laughs> Some of you might think this is the force, but it is Gepta. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is the mystic sorcery of Tund. It's all right, dude. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. That's great. That's the thing with the Force, though. It's like an overlying use case thing where everyone, you're like, I've invented magic. And it's only going to be like an hour before some fucking Jedi shows up and is like, ah, you've discovered a new and unique application of the Force. Ah, a Force tradition that was heretofore unknown. Get the fuck out. It's not. It's my magic. It's the sorcery of Tund. No, I'm a Mm, wizard. No, it's definitely. It's merely a weird, inaccessible sort of the Force that I can't do. So it's evil. <laughs> this is probably dark side and I should kill you. <laughs> now, for uh if for some reason you're just randomly hopping into this one and you haven't been there Welcome for the last listeners. for the last two books, uh this is all about Lando Calrissian and having some weird fucking adventures this so all, far. It's all prequel. This is all set way before the events oh, yeah. of the Star Wars books. Uh, this is a younger Lando. Why, in the first book, we found out he didn't even have the mustache yet. Yeah, no mustache, no real piloting ability to speak of. Mm-hmm. He is very fresh, very young, and just getting out into the world. And for the the first couple books, the first one, he discovered some horseshit ancient civilization mm-hmm. that uh, he accidentally like destroyed an entire solar system to bring back. Yep, and he picked up an eternal enemy for life in the wild-robed Roker Gepta, the evil sorcerer. Yeah, who wanted the key, the mind harp of Sheru, mm-hmm. uh, for nefarious purposes, and Lando did not specifically try and stop him, and in fact, did not do anything with the mind harp. It was the fucking governor of the planet that, yeah. <laughs> uh Roker Gepta was working with, but... Gepta is one of those people that's like, oh, something went wrong, and it clearly couldn't have been my fault, and the only person who survived that was also involved in this is Lando, so it's his fault, and I hate him. Yeah, but La- Roker Gepta is, is the, the really the breakout here. Him and Buffy Raw are kind of the breakouts of these books. Roker's like a melange... He's like the suicide soda flavor, but for villain archetypes, he just has all of them. God bless Roker Gepta for being just every type of villain. Yeah, 
He's the type of guy who kill his own underlings, but he's also the kind of guy who spends all of his time planning how to hire his underlings and arranging it so that no one knows whether his underlings are good or not. Like he is just a he's just a cool guy. Gept is a nutty little baby. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> then after surviving the mind harp of Sheru, uh we go on to our next book, which was uh the whatever it was, the uh, Flame, Flame Wind. Of yeah, Flame Wind, and in that one, we pick up a new antagonist, which will continue in this, uh, Klin Shanga. Mm-hmm. The general of the remaining Renatasian Revengeance forces. Yeah, and they hate Vuffy Ra, yeah, Lando Calrissian's little robot friend. Yeah, he's got a little starfish robot, and so both of them have a mortal enemy. Yeah, so we get Gepta in the first book. Gepta continues in the second, but we also pick up, pick up Shanga. Mm-hmm. So now our two main heroes, Lando Calrissian and Vuffy Ra, each have their own uh, arch nemesis. And both of them are equally like, but I didn't even do anything to you. Yeah. And so <laughs> like this book opens with Lando being like, hey, I've I have reached out to Roker on a number of occasions since the whole Bohua the flame wind incident and been like, hey, man. I don't know why you're mad at me, and I promise I will not get in your way under any circumstances for the rest of time. Oh, yeah. In this book, he's like, I sent out a message that was like, I hear you want power. Have all of it that you want. I don't give a shit. Please stop trying to murder me. And he's like, no! (laughs) That only makes me want to murder you further! Uh, Slower! (laughs) And we left our last book after they had captured Klinshanga after his entire weird ball of shitty fighters got destroyed uh-huh. and found out that he hates Vuffy Raw because someone dressed him up like a meatbag creature yes. and tricked everyone into thinking he was a cool alien ambassador and then like the Imperial Navy destroyed everything. And instead of being angry at the Imperial Navy, he's like, I hate that Vuffy Raw who I refuse to believe is a robot. Yes, <laughs> I love that part where he flat out... He sees Buffy as a detachable modular robot creature, and he's like, I don't know how he's doing it, but when I saw him, he was a little start, he was a little Shumagorath, and that's what I'm going to believe he is for, for all time. Yeah, when I saw him, he was covered in skin, and I won't believe that he's anything but the one thing that I ever saw him as once. Yeah, and he is already, he's an older guy, so he's already fully dedicated his life to revenge. So finding out that Buffy is like a, a completely harmless robot who was being used via the method of droid slavery that's so common in Star Wars to basically serve as the Judas goat for the assimilation and uh, ruin of an entire society. Yep. Um, He's like, I hate that Judas goat, and I'm going to kill him. Yeah, he's like, look, I've already dedicated my entire life to hating this thing, and if you tell me I shouldn't, I I literally cannot process that. That is not a thing that I will be allowed to uh, have my brain figure out. Yeah. So that brings us to our current book. It's been several months. Yeah. Now, uh, we also left in the last book, he had a small fortune yes. that we have no idea what he did with because Buffy had been like, hey, maybe you should give like several hundred thousand or million or whatever credits to Clinchanga to help his society that I was unwittingly a part of destroying. Uh, maybe they can help rebuild. And he was like, ha ha, how about fuck that guy? I love that that's, that's our current situation where he was like, yeah, I'm not doing Shanga any fucking favors. That guy sucks. And indeed <laughs> he does not, but we have no idea what he did with that money. Cause when we start here, it's not like he's got any. Yeah. Well, we, we don't know. He's probably broke, but he might just be comfortable and just flying around. 
But yeah, we don't start with Lando and, and Buffy in this book. This book opens not with a prologue. It starts on chapter one. But it's all about our brand new character, the adventurous and curious Lehusu of the Oswaft. Yes, Lehusu is a being that describes, well, gets described, essentially, because they're like, all right, neither of these creatures exist in Star Wars, but if a human were to see me, yeah. they might think I look like a manta ray or also a jellyfish. I like that he specifically mentions the Portuguese man of war, establishing that Portugal is now is now canon to Star Wars. Hey, again, he specifically <laughs> yeah. says an alien might describe me as this from somewhere far, far away, some probably manner, Earth. Some manner of Portuguese alien. <laughs> some weird Portuguese alien from space Portugal. Yeah, I mean, basically, so to get across what Lahusu is, the book wants to do kind of a dance around this to kind of make you think that maybe we're actually in an ocean and we're describing an oceanic creature. Uh, Lehusu is a, a mullet, a space mullet, in that he is manta ray on the top <laughs> and jellyfish on the bottom. Yeah. Um, so he's got the full manta ray shape up to and including those two kind of front projector things that stick out that are uh, on a manta ray or an equal part food, uh, food guide and uh, steering assistance. Yeah, and just here, those, little, on, those little front dangles. Yeah, on him they're sensor arrays. Uh, and underneath the manta ray part of him, dangles down just hundreds of various tentacles that have various jobs. Yeah. And, I mean, mostly they're for just, uh, like... Eating. Eating, because they... He explains that, like, oh, I'm one of those types of creatures that's like, oh, I just pick up nutrients around me as I'm swimming around. So yeah, he doesn't actively eat. He yeah, passively eats. They're the Oswaft, his species, is like, yeah, we just sort of float around. We... We'll pick up whatever, and there's no, like, he specifically says, he's like, it's not exactly like we're vegetarian, neither are we predators, it's just, if something gets close enough to these tentacles that we can eat, uh, it just grabs it and we fucking eat that shit. Yeah, like, they're, well, they're passing, it's, it's an intelligent jellyfish, effectively, so, yeah, you, you assume a, a jellyfish that grows up would still have no concept of how it's eating, that's just a thing that the bottom half of it is kind of doing. Yeah, it's like, look, I live in a society. Yeah, it's like me when I'm at Domino's. I'm unaware that there's food going into me, but, you know, it's just kind of happening you know, down there. I go into a CeCe's Pizza, and for some reason, food goes into me. <laughs> don't look at me. I don't remember doing that. Weird. But, but he is he is out swimming, and, and he is far from home. Because he has the unique thing for the Oswaft, which is that he has curiosity. Yeah, now, he's a Disney main character. Yeah. Normally, he's like, oh, my entire peoples are all just like content with living where they are because you know where they are uh is the, the thonboka the thonboka which is basically just a big nebula thing yeah kinda. and i mean we find that out later but he's yeah. like ah yes in the place where we live the thonboka uh food is just sort of floating around we don't ever have to go worry about anything we have a huge society but it's very conservative, we're slow to change, and we're not a people that are, like, inherently super interested and curious about things they don't know about. And he's like, yeah, we're not, you know, stagnant completely, like, we do grow and have, they're you know. They're super intelligent, yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they have a society that continues to grow, but they're like, growth happens over the course of, like, generations. Yes. Rather than like, oh, someone came up with a thing and it instantly gets taken off with. Well, you got to assume these things only like 
mobile part that they really have any kind of control over is the tips of their wings so they can kind of fly around. So their their capability for innovation is probably fairly limited. They live entirely in a world that's just a soup of food they could eat and they swim around in it. There there's a lake of stew and a whiskey too. <laughs> they live in the big rock space mountain. Yeah. And and uh and so they really don't have our drive where we're constantly being like, I invented a slightly cooler flashlight. So they they, they don't have that, that I've got a tactical wallet. <laughs> yes, but can your tactical wallet do this? <laughs> this? Uh, uh, uh so so but he, unlike the rest of his Oswaft cousins, is burdened with glorious curiosity and has wanted to see the world beyond the Thonboka, which is not, they don't really have like a punishment system among the Oswaf, but it's not something that's done. And so they no, don't stop him. Everyone's just like, you're very weird. And you'll probably die. Yeah. If you, cause he's like, oh, I want to leave this and go swim out into the great nothingness that is, you know, beyond our Thonboka. And they're like, cool, you'll be dead. But I mean, we don't really have a system in place to be like, we'll put you under house arrest. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. We just think you're weird. He's just like, but I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing. So, so anyway, he's out swimming around and he has learned a harsh lesson, which is that the Thonboka is basically a cosmic soup. It's a big place full of, basically the Thonboka is a place where a, a gravitic body never really developed to start accreting all of the mat, the, the uh, material into planets and suns. So it's basically just a big mass of stuff. Yeah, all the shit that walls. would normally, you know, turn into a star and uh -huh. other shit is just floating around. So they can just kind of float around in space and be like, mmm, delicious. Yes. Now, on, on a physics basis, that kind of shit wouldn't work because everything was gravi gravitically attracted to everything else. So eventually it would coalesce. But whatever, it's Star Wars. Um, and what he's learned upon leaving it is that there's no soup in the rest of space. Yeah, the rest of the space, oddly enough, very empty. Yeah, the Anzadi got the rest of that space soup years ago. Soup. That's why they have to go after the humans and their delicious soup inside. We've already got the space soup. <laughs> and I'm still hungry for nose soup. So he's out swimming around in the middle of what he calls the great emptiness, and he's dying. Yeah, he's, he's no starving food. to death. Yeah, and he's never experienced this before. He had no idea what, what this would be like. So he's experiencing a great deal of pain uh, as he is slowly dying in the great emptiness and realizing this is what's going to be the end of him. When suddenly, in the midst of the great emptiness, he spots what he assumes is a little critter. Yeah, he's like, oh, there's something else out here flying around. Well, swimming around, as he puts it. Yes. Because we are still in the book under the assumption that this is a water creature. Some sort of ocean thing happening. Uh, so he swims down to investigate this this thing, which is about a tenth his size, and uh, he's like, well, I don't understand it. First of all, it looks like it's dead, because I'm completely see-through. That's another thing about the Oswaft we should have mentioned earlier. They're 100% transparent. You can see yeah. right through them. They're, that's part of the whole jellyfish thing, is they're like, oh, you, they're very translucent, and yeah. they turn opaque when they die. Yes. So seeing a thing that he's like, oh, you can't see through this little dude at all... That basically is like seeing a zombie for him. Yes, especially when it starts trying to communicate with him after he sends a big wave of sensory, like, attempting to study it. Date, like, he communicates by sending out a, a series of various... Like radio waves, radio, essentially. Like, various waves, and then reading the bounce back. So, luckily to him, when he reaches out to what is, you know, let's go ahead and say it, obviously, the Millennium Falcon. Yes. Uh, it's Vuffy at the controls, who's like, that thing is some sort of giant intelligence, and luckily for you... I'm fluent in six billion forms of communication. 3PO can suck a dick. <laughs> also, 
the nice thing is he's like, oh, instead of trying to use language, because initially uh, the Falcon just sort of sends out a greeting and he's like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Yeah. Like, whatever you're saying, it's not a thing I understand. Because obviously the Oswald have one language. They're like, we can move fast enough within our nebula little thing and there's not enough of us spread out enough to create different languages. Yes. So we just have the one. So he's like, all right, I only know our weird space language. I don't know what you're doing, but I can project images. Yes. And so he projects to the Falcon an image of himself uh, turning opaque and disappearing. And the Falcon, and also like the concept of the food that he would like to eat. And the Falcon sends back a message that is, just a mess, like a, it's just like a hodgepodge of every kind of chemical ever. Yeah, he's like, all right, I'm going to send out a thing that's like, I'm basically using images to try and convey I'm hungry. And then it just goes like, all right, here's a ton of different things that you might eat. This, 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 this. And every time it's something he would eat, he's like, yes. And if it's not, he says nothing because he's like, we haven't established what a yes or a no is. Yeah, so he just kind of goes Oomph, every time it's something he would eat. And then the Falcon... Yeah, it's just like me. Every time someone shows me something I'm e- I need, I'm like, <laughs> hey, look, a burger. <laughs> You're just pointing at it with your <laughs> sharpened stick. <laughs> uh, pizza. John, <laughs> John hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, what I have to assume is that the Falcon dumps its, po- its poop tanks because it dumps a bunch of chemical, a random chemical assortments. Well, they, the- he gets formaldehyde. Yeah, he gets formaldehyde straight from the poop of, of Lando Q. Calrissian. The Q stands for formaldehyde, and um, it's spelled differently in Star Wars. Yeah, it's a it's a space language. And uh, boy, could uh, could Lesotho or Lahusu be Lesotho? Lesotho, Lesotho, the country. Yeah, ten times the size of the Millennium Falcon. It is said, huh? but Lahusu uh, is like, oh my god, food, and it's a big cloud of it. So he just starts swimming around the Falcon in big arky waves. He's like, fuck yes, I love this shit. Mm-hmm. Oh I hell love yeah, this literal baths. shit. <laughs> And, you know, just has a little time of being like, yay, I'm not going to die after all. Although, you know, you definitely will unless you head back to that fucking uh, Thon Boca, which does mean Star Cave, which means this book is the Star Cave of Star Cave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gives him warm feelings to remember the Thon Boca. To him, it means either Star Cave or Safe Harbor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if he could read then he might have noticed that this weird creature has a little thing bolted to it that says, Lando Calrissian, big time dick wanger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although, again, this book, these books continue to keep Lando essentially sexless. Huh. Um, so who it might just be that he likes wanging dicks, but like just his own. And just yeah, a, he's just a dick wanger. Yeah. He just get, you know, just wangs it around a little bit. You know, it's puppetry. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I love that he's got a little plaque on his ship that says it's Millennium Falcon Lando Calrissian capped. Yeah. And, uh, uh, also, he can look in the windows, and he's like, well, that one window, the big window on that globular thing on the side of the Millennium Falcon, why, that kind of looks like there's constant color shifting happening in there. So he is, even by the end of this chapter, does not have a concept that there are people inside the Millennium Falcon. Oh, yeah. Well, given that he's like, my entire existence has been, you know, giant fuck-off creatures like me that I assume are the standard size for things, and when he sees... The Millennium Falcon, which is just sort of tiny to him, he's like, oh, you're like one of those little crabs that we eat. Yeah, exactly. So that's the end of chapter one. Uh, we never really do establish anything beyond that level of communication because chapter two jumps us forward six months again. And now Lando and uh, and Buffy are flying the Falcon towards the Star Cave at their maximum speed. 
they're escorting this thing home, and apparently Lahusu flew a long fucking way from home. Oh. But that's because these guys, these Oswaft, are naturally hyperspace capable. They could just do it by themselves. <laughs> so uh, it's been another mo- couple month jump, th- and we just check in with Lando, who is just so fucking sick of these Star Wars. Yeah, he is currently like, all right, so my new thing is I like to turn off the gravity, sit literally in the middle of a room, like both lengthwise and height-wise, just float right in the smack-dab middle and be like, ah, I can really think this way. Mm -hmm. Except my arm is broken, and so is my toe, and I've got a black eye because in the intervening months since the last book, the assassination attempts have not slowed. They've only ramped up, and now they get both kinds of assassination attempts because whatever happened with Clint Shanga, they dumped him somewhere, and he immediately got hold of his people and got a whole new crew together. Yeah, so he's like, all right, we've been having uh, people trying to kill both of us, but now it's not even like just the one person trying to uh, kill each of us just goes after us because apparently the person who was trying to kill... uh, Lando was an assassin who was so shitty and new that when he went to throw a grenade, he threw the pin instead of the grenade, and it ended up blowing up basically him and Vuffy. Vuffy got a bunch of shrapnel stuck in the side of him, which dented him a bunch, so he's all pockmarked at the moment. But as we established in the first book, Vuffy has a a, a powerful host of interior micro repair uh, control components. Yeah, he's just got little repair nanites. So eventually he'll be fine. He's just not super great at the moment. Uh, but that was a dude who was trying to kill Lando. Meanwhile, a dude who was trying to kill Vuffy basically reenacted the Joker's origin story on, on Lando and pushed him over a railing into a vat of chemicals. Except it was like a vat of hard pudding. So instead of being like, ah, I've fallen into this soup, he's like, ow, I broke my arm on this hard pudding. This sucks. God damn it. I never thought Jello wrestling would be this uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hit a fucking... Uh, <laughs> one of those Newtonian liquids. Yeah, like that just the some starch slurry or something. Yeah, the force made it uh, hard. So when he hit the surface of it, he's like, ow, fuck. Yeah, he made the first onomatopoeia recorded in Star Wars as he landed and said, ooh, black. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so he's got a broken arm and he's pissed about it. He's in some kind of highfalutin fancy space cast where it's a bunch of little machines that magnetically keep his arm in position uh, instead of just a cast. Yeah, and it's... Not Bacta. Instead, the all the like little magnetic pushing things are like, oh, it forces the body to like knit together in a few days. Yeah. So he, as John was mentioning, his big thing now is floating in the center of a room. I like that that idea that he uses the Falcon inherently different than Lan- than Han does. Han doesn't ever turn the gravity off and float. He's always just sitting at that table. No, he just stomps around. Yeah. Whereas but- he's like, oh, you know what's great. I'm in space, mm-hmm. and you know what you can do in space is float. Yeah, I love it. Basically, it's just the author of the book being like, oh, I got hired to write a sci-fi book. I'm going to put in some hard sci-fi elements because that's my shit. He didn't quite think it through, though, because Lando also sits up there and smokes a cigar as, as much as he can. Well, yeah, because he's, he's like, oh, I put a little uh, vacuum tube near me so that when I'm smoking, I can just, like put the ash into the tube. Yeah, but what he didn't think about is that smoke only rises because it's hot and it's moving towards areas of lower pressure, where in zero gravity there aren't areas of lower pressure, so he's probably sitting in a fucking cloud. Well, that's what the fucking vacuum tube is for. But the vacuum would eventually suck him over, so I assume he has to be tethered to the far wall to make sure he doesn't get... Like, he doesn't weigh anything. The vacuum will have exactly the same effect on him as it does on the ash. (laughs) 
<laughs> Not to worry. None of that matters because no. this isn't hard sci-fi. No, this soft, is Star Wars. It's soft sci-fi. I just always find it funny when people put like a half measure of hard sci-fi into a Star Wars book, which is exactly enough to take you out of it and be like, what the, that wouldn't fucking work. I mean, only for you. Yes. For me, I was like, I'm not going to think about that even a little bit, and I don't care. <laughs> yeah, like a fire in space is round because it doesn't have any place to go. Like, there's no reason for it to go up, so it just turns into a liquid looking the ball. Yeah, all right. So anyway, yeah, he's doing that, and then uh, he re- he gets a call from Vuffy, Basically, we do establish it. Yes, the two of them are escorting Lahusu home. We don't know why yet. Maybe it's just a humanitarian mission on his part. He does grumble about how he's recently become a humanitarian and he doesn't care about that. I mean, mostly in this, he's just like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. But apparently this the Oswaft are, I guess, in trouble and I'm going to go try and help him out. But also, uh we get a thing where he's like, all right, there's all these fucking assassins and everyone trying to murder us. And we're just going to go to the Thon Boca and like, have it out. Well, I'm just done. I'm yeah. done with fucking running. I mean, it's a great idea on his part to basically befriend a civilization of enormous spaceship monsters. Yeah. He's like, look, there's these giant fuck off things and I'm going to bring back one of them, be friends with them. And then be like, hey, if anybody comes in and tries to murder me, just like crush them with one of your giant fuck off tentacles. Or just your radio waves, just overpower their ship, whatever. I assume also, I haven't read this book in forever, so I don't remember this, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that he just understands the genre convention that any inherently non-materialistic species that eats random shit that floats in space obviously shits diamonds. Ah! There's no way it doesn't. There's no way that's not part of the end of plan for him for for a Lahusu to be like, by the way, would you like some of my glittery shit? And for him to be like, oh my god, it's diamonds. Obviously it was diamonds. Huh. Uh, there is no mention of that at all here. Yeah, I'm just saying, that standard Star Wars convention, or not Star Wars, but space convention, if you meet a big monster that eats hydrocarbons, that fucker shits diamonds. <laughs> I eat carbon and shit diamonds! <laughs> my colon is as hard as a thousand suns! Uh, but yes, he is flying towards the Thon Boca and Vuffy comes on as like, Hey, my dude, we are making way better time than initially estimated because they give the reason of when they're traveling faster than light, there's still resistance in space from the random particles there. But this part of space is so devoid of, uh, anything that he's like, oh, yeah, we actually end up making better time because there's nothing to slow us down out here. Yes. Yeah, which is whole... not the way I understood how, you know, their various lo- faster than light travel worked. But whatever, who gives a fuck? Well, we just get another little chunk of sci-fi detail about hyper travel. Um, effectively, we always assume that the reason that you need star path computers and so on to plot paths through hyperspace is that you don't fly through a star or just an asteroid will kill you. But the stu- little stuff, like little par- pockets of gas and so on, the dust moats that do exist in space everywhere, there's nowhere that's a true vacuum, will slow your ship down. They will hit your shields, but your shields are built to handle that, but it will slow the ship down. Yes. Um, here, uh, this is apparently the emptiest part of space they've ever been through. Yeah. And it's re- they had 76 hours left, and it just sh- the speed they're going just shaved another four hours off of that. Yeah, and Lando's like, all right, well, slow us the fuck down then, because... My arm is still broken, and I'd like it to be kind of healed by the time we get there. Yeah, and notably, at this point, he's like, hey, if we open up this, I can show you a display of what's coming. 
You see that smudge? That's the Thonboka. Lando can't, so he just kind of goes, all right, sure, and, and presses zoom until he can see it. Yeah, just hits the telescope. And then, uh, sure enough, not only can you see sort of a brown sack-shaped smudge of space that is yeah, the Yeah, he can see a brown sack. Yeah, but also, uh, he can see a bunch of yellow dots out there. And uh, that's when Vuffy po- pipes up to say, like, hey, those are the Navy? That's just, like, a Navy. I'm there's not sure a, what Navy. There's a blockade happening at the Thonboka, and what you are seeing, the, like, tons of ships that you can see are, like, half of it, because the other half is camouflaged. Yeah, they're using some kind of super high-tech camo fl- system, so we can't quite make out what's going on out there. Those are just the ones you can see. They appear to be mining the Thonboka, which means they're just sort of sucking it into their... their they just sort of suck. They're just sort of vacuuming up the Thonboka, which... Ultimately, I assume is very much a scary thing to the Oswaft, even though it's probably going to have to. T- if it's the size of a nebula, and if it's big enough to house a whole civilization of star destroyer-sized creatures, it's probably big enough that they can't Hoover it up that fast. No, and I mean we don't even really get that right now. All they know is there's some sort of blockade here. Yeah, like this navy has surrounded the fucking nebula. And that's as much as they know. And notably, there's like an opening. There's like a hole in the neb. The, the, the sack has an opening where you can get in and out of the... Uh, everything else, I assume, is just too much of a thick pea soup of junk that you, for you to just fly through. So uh, so they're mining. They're at the opening. And Buffy Raw does say they appear to have started mining the opening. But I don't know if that means they're sucking up its hydrocarbons or that they are laying down actual like space mines to blow up any Oswaf that try to come out. No idea. Yeah. But... Uh... That, you know, basically is like, all right, well, I guess we're going to try and run a blockade. I love Lando's like, yeah, apparently they're going to run a blockade to get Lahusu home. Like, that's the point. But I love Lando like, wait, they have like super advanced, uh, some sort of camouflage tech so we can't see them. Can we have that? No, of <laughs> course not. It's not. That would be it's a smart advanced. Question. It's a smart question. But yeah, he's like, no, that's super Hey, can advanced. you do that, Buffy? No. No, that's that's beyond my... And he's like, oh, great, which means it's top secret, which means everyone has it but civilians. Fucking wonderful. Well, right, fucking military. Goddamn. Fuck. Honestly, I'm going to say I did not even think when I was reading this that he was bringing Lahisu back because he mentions him like literally once at the very beginning being like, oh, the Lahisu are or Lahisu of the Oswaft. Uh his people are in trouble and then never mentions that Lahisu is there or that he's coming back or that he's trying to bring him home. He just is like, yeah. And then we're going to this place. Yeah. I, I find I, I have to, I, I mean, granted that is one of the dim memories I have of this is that Lahisu is like their friend going forward. He's like a buddy. Uh, so I, I might be cheating with some old half remembered information. Yeah. Cause nothing in this chapter says, oh yeah. And Lahisu's here as well. Yeah. I'm going to guess that's probably so they can surprise us with. Again, they are naturally invisible. They're just see-through. Uh, so uh, he might just be flying along behind the Falcon and relying on the fact that he is pretty much space-colored to uh, to protect himself from whatever happens. I mean, the other thing is I was like, okay, he did, like, Lahisu mentioned in the first chapter, like, oh, we we can fucking swim pretty fast. Yeah. But I'm like, do you swim faster than light? Because that's what the Millennium Falcon is doing currently. Yeah. So and they, and they do. Uh, so so I just remember this species. This is one of my favorite things about this book. Was yeah. So you know, I have to say, as someone who has yeah. been reading it for the first time, none of that is conveyed. Sorry, <laughs> my bad. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so he's heading towards the Thonboka, 
and he's grumpy about something. He comes up to the cockpit and talks to Vuffy for a bit. Well, I mean, he's grumpy because he's got a broken arm and he has no idea how he's going to break a blockade. Yeah, but he's like, look, I don't want to talk about this blockade shit right now. I'm going to go back to my hover room. Oh, yeah. He's like, hey, Vuffy, do you have any ideas? And he's like, no, I thought that was your department. He's like, god damn it. I was afraid you'd say that. All right. I'm going to go to my meditation cave. And by that, I mean, I'm taking a nap. Yeah. He doesn't think he's going to take a nap, but he goes back to his hover room and falls asleep for three hours. Been there, man. I know. I know. I get it. Sometimes you think, oh, I'm just going to. I'm going to sit down and have a think. And then you wake up three hours later and like, fuck my neck. Sometimes you just sit on the couch and Jurassic World 3 comes on. You're like, yeah, fucking good enough. And then you wake up three hours later and it's playing one of the new ones. And you're like, what the fuck? Ha- uh. <laughs> so, yeah, he gets woken up like after a three hour nap. Mm-hmm. And Vuffy's uh, like, hey, my man. So uh, there's a battle cruiser. Yeah. They have fired two warning shots. And say they will fucking destroy us if we don't, you know, let them board us. It's just some Navy guys. And Lando has been having a terrible dream, uh, obviously about Sabacc, because, uh, you know, this this book's going to be less about him going from card room to card room and dealing with random assortments of gamblers and more about him rescuing space monsters from other space monsters and shit like that. So he has to have dreams about Sabacc. Yeah, we're... <laughs> I... <sighs> The dream is essentially a nightmare where he's like, oh, every time I get a decent hand, it shifts into a shitty one. Yes. But the weird, like, faceless gray antagonist guy that I'm playing against has randomed into uh, a new type of way to get an instant 23. And I'm like, why would that possibly matter? There's already the idiot's array. There's already, like, five different ways you can get to 23. The fact that he has, like... Ah, oh, this one is the final array. I'm like, does why would that matter? Yeah, it was called the final trump, which I feel like nowadays is a concept I don't even like to envision. Oh, I love to envision the final trump. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's funny to me. Just, I, I assume he's mad about the existence of the final trump just because he doesn't seem to be able to get it. He keeps hitting 23s in his cards, but before he can announce it, all of his cards turn to nothing. Yeah, so he's, he's just, just he's it, always got a shitty hand. This guy always wins. So it's just an anxiety dream about how Roger Gepta has all the cards because he's a faceless gray monster. Yeah. Um. But then he gets woken up and he doesn't even know he was asleep. So he's like, hey, Lando, did you uh did you have that idea yet that you went in there to have? Because <laughs> we're very fucked right now. Mm-hmm. And no, no, he does not. And he's, we just sort of leave them with these guys want to board us. What's uh what's the deal? Yeah. And that's Lando's it. like, God damn it. The fucking Navy. Fucking Navy. Yeah, and that's where we leave to begin Chapter 3. Baby, it's time for Roker Gepta. Oh, Roker Gepta and his inevitable, unstoppable, unstopping posturing is the best. So he is back on his, not home planet, but the planet where he learned all his magnificent sorcery, good old Tund. Yes. Which he long ago used some kind of probably, but maybe not magic effect to burn to a crisp. Yeah, he's like... Back out in the wider galaxy, people whisper about Tund because, you know, there's wizards there and you don't want to invoke the wrath of the wizard. Mm -hmm. But he's like, little do they know, I blew this place the fuck up as soon as I learned all of its secrets. Yeah, he was like, I'm so paranoid that I can't leave these powerful wizards behind. Not with my I need to be the only one that has these secrets. Yes. Um, And so Tund is basically just an entirely, he, he killed everything. Including all the nematode, down to the microscopic level, he glass parking lotted the entire planet and now it glowed the darks at night because 
yeah. not only because he irradiated it, but also because of some kind of magic fire he left behind. Oh, yeah. It is it is currently just a pale ash of planet mm-hmm. that still, because of how it was blown up, is like, oh, there are still, like, bits and pieces of it that, like, are on fire and currently floating around. And you'll see, like, little ashy bits fly off into space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a couple of locations he refers to as oases where basically it's safe to be there because they're behind some bubbles. Like, he still killed everything in them, but as long as you're in those bubbles, life can start to come back. Yeah, he put up just, you know, force fields in there, so he's like, all right, the shit that I did can't get in here. Yes, and so one of those contains, at the moment, the Wenis, his his ship, which was apparently a gift from some kind of empire. Yeah, I assume he got it from the emperor. I, I love the concept, but I but uh, I who knows? But he's like, yeah, I've got this thing. It was a gift to me from someone who controls a million systems in the galaxy, mostly just to keep me mollified so I wouldn't murder them. And I have taken it and heavily modified it as I see fit. And I've crewed it with a bunch of people who are the best engineers and soldiers and martial artists and technicians in the galaxy, but also just the worst, stupidest and shittiest people. And sometimes they are one and the same. Yes. So occasionally you're like, ah, this is the, the best engineer ever, but he's also a real big piece of shit. So, Which I assume is all just part of... Gepter's ma- Gepta's master plan for have everything be like, and what you didn't know. Oh, yeah. He's just like, no, I need to be able to have just levers and buttons and plausible things I deniability. Do. I need to be able to just move shit around and go, ah, and the reason this happened. So he's got a full crew of weird, dumb horse shit. Yeah. And he is currently sitting in a cave on this planet that he has. Normally he had, you know, murdered everything here, but now he has a cave and he's sitting in pure darkness because it's also where his weird little spider monsters from the previous book are. And instead of just one, it is a cave full of them. Yes. And he makes a a big deal about how not a single photon of light is allowed to penetrate my, my thought sanctum. Oh, you other lesser beings would need light to see, but Rokagepta has ways to see beyond your ken! Yeah, so there's that shit again. Uh, There's a bit where he waxes Rhapsodic about how the sorcerers of Tund were short-sighted, about how the person who gave him the Wenis, obviously a very powerful person in charge of millions of systems, that's still just a wedge of the galaxy. That's not good enough for Gepta. Gepta wants the whole pie. Also, all the other pies. I want all the pies. So he's like even sitting there plotting like how he's going to take over the rest of the universe. Yeah. Which is adorable. Love, love Roker Gepta in these books. Because yeah. he is constantly like, I'll rule the universe. Oh, shit. I tripped over my own dick and died. Yeah, he's exactly. He's at that perfect range of absolute pomposity, self-power. <laughs> but also every time anyone confronts him, he's like, I'll have to put up with them for now. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good because every time we have seen him for the past two books, he's like, I'm the most powerful being in the world, in the universe. Ow, oh, my eye. <laughs> oh, shit. Fuck. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just always, oh, I have the most powerful foresight and I can, I have wheels within wheels and fifth dimensional chess. And then <laughs> some idiot does something I didn't plan for and I immediately get fucked. And you're like, dude. You suck at this. Yes. Please realize that you are bad at what you are doing. So he's just floating in the middle of his little cave, imagining how Lando once once uh, bothered him, even in a slight way, and how he's going to slowly kill him over a million years, blah, blah, blah. And uh, 
then he gets a message from from his uh, the people on the Wenis who were like, "Hey, just we so got that guy you wanted. <laughs> there's this guy he wants to see you." Uh, and we get established that not only does he own the 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 Wenis and its crew of military recruits as a gift from some emperor, but also like a civilian slave army was also a gift of this guy. So he's well, got like attendants that live on the planet for his purposes. I mean, he's it's all part of his various dumb horse shittery where he's like, oh, I've got some people that were ex-military. I've got some civilians, but everyone has had any like insignia or things that would show rank or whatever are gone. I want everyone who works for me to just look like they are civilians, even if they are like military because i want no one to know anything because it's mind games and then they come in they call him and they call him sir over the thing and he's like i accept no honorifics or titles except sir i, I can't or get maybe them. wizard <laughs> <laughs> sorcerer of tons but yeah he's, he, he has this whole rant about how he hates that they have to use honorifics but he does grant them to call him sir because it feels it feels like they just kind of go crazy. Oh yeah, he's they like, don't oh, put sir in every sentence. They're less efficient if I don't let them call me sir, because then they waste time trying to remember not to say sir and to figure out something else. And he's like, whatever, it's just faster if I let them say sir. I just love it that every time he's like, I'm the most powerful being. I accept no honorifics except for the most common one, <laughs> except for that one, because I just don't care really. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's got a visitor. And slowly the lights come on in his cave as all those little three-legged spider things kind of scurry back into their holes. Yeah, and he's like, oh, so sorry, my pets. If this person I'm meeting with is an assassin or someone that displeases me, you'll have a treat soon. Ooh, I'll let you eat a guy. Slowly. Sorry, uh, I can't do the Roker Gepta voice right now because I'm still slightly recovering from some viruses. Yes. Uh, but yeah. So, obviously, his new visitor is none other than Klin Shanga, and it is really fun to see Shanga in his, like, safe element, as opposed to being, like, a desperate guy sitting in a fighter cockpit. It's amazing to me. The change. Because also, Shanga, I love the way they describe him, where he's like, oh, he's everyone's badass uncle who's done everything. Yes. And you're just like, oh, this guy's so fucking cool. Yeah, I just picture Grandpa Max from Ben 10. <laughs> now, that's that's my... That's He's my like, vision of what this guy is. Like, Clint Shanga, a fucking giant of a man who is more scar than standard tissue. Yeah. And also just looks like a badass adventurer. Yes. And he's just all broad and heavy set. And he doesn't give a fuck about anything. Notably, one of the more important things about Clint Shanga is that he basically swore an oath to kill Buffy Raw or die like 20 years, 30 years ago. And he's basically walking dead. Oh, he's yeah. Like, he's like, I don't give a shit if I live or die. I'm the one person in the world that is not fucking scared of Roker Gepta, because what's the worst he's going to do? Make it so I don't have to hunt Buffy Raw anymore? Oh, no. Yeah, and so this is, Roker's like, ah, oh, the one type of person that I truly am frightened of. Someone that isn't frightened of me. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's probably most people, though. You're kind of a, <laughs> you're kind of a goofy little bastard. I, I don't know if you know this. I love the part where he's waxing on about what people see him as and how there's, because there's, in the beginning of this chapter, there's this part where he's like, I'm in my real form, or I'm really just more of a blur of shapes and colors. <laughs> I turn myself into, like, the, the, the mummy wizard to, to, uh, to help present a face to the galaxy, sort of. But really, I'm, I'm not that. I'm, like, a whole different thing. I'm a weird thing, and we're never really going to get into it yet. And other people think I'm a malignant little dwarf or a huge giant. Yeah. I'm basically like Proto-Snoke. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, I just present whatever, and people can see what i want them to see yes 
and he makes he makes it so that his fucking chair that he is sitting in is floating like three feet off the ground because he's got to have that I'm sitting higher than you fucking corporate power move. Yep. And Shanga doesn't give a shit. He just comes in and leans against one of those rocks full of spiders. And yeah, just he's like, just leaning against a fucking stalagmite and is like, hey, what up, asshole? I, I got a deal for you. And Roker's like, the impropriety. And he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Kill me or don't. Whatever. It was just perfect for Gepta because Gepta spends all of his time being like, I will kill anyone who insults me in any of the slightest way. Oh, oh, if he wasn't useful to me, I would murder him. And he's like, yeah, but you're not. Yeah. He's just like, you're going to want to hear what I have to say. I hear you want to murder uh, a Lando Calrissian. I will help you. And he's like, oh, I have such a boner for that. Yeah, it's great, though, because he's like, I heard you have a giant fleet you're promising me and you're here to make all kinds of tributes. And, And Shang is like, no, I have a small crew of fighters and a couple of ships. I don't have any shit. I'm also, gonna... why are you calling me Admiral Shanga? I have like five dudes that I control. Yeah, just call me Shanga. Come on, man. Like, I thought you were inherently powerful. No, I'm just desperate and good at shit. <laughs> I just have a lot of connections for some reason mm-hmm. and lets him know like, oh, hey, uh, there's a weird blockade of this nebula and that's where Lando is going. We can catch him in between the blockade and us. He'll be in between a rock and a hard place, and we can fuck his shit up. And as much as Gepta is like, I'd, I hate that you're telling me what to do, he also has the biggest boner for trying to yes. kill Lando. So he's like, don't care, worth it. I think my personal favorite part of this conversation, though, is that uh, he he basically is like, yeah, I'm a, a general from the Renatasia system. Have you heard of us in our situation? And Chang, or, or, uh, Gepta has, obviously, that's a perfect chance for him to be like, yes, because I know all... Uh, but he just, you know, researched it before Shanga came in. So he's just like, yeah, I heard that you guys were like a pre-industrial civilization from like, we, you we don't know how you got out there. You're out there from before humans are supposed to invent hyperspace and you rose to a certain level of power stuck there. And then you got fucked with by like the empire, right? Yeah. Then the Navy showed up and fucked you by using some robot. And of course he's like, robot, how dare you? Buffy raw is no robot. I saw him once as a dude with skin. And, and he's like, yeah, all right. Where Gupt, Gupt is just like, wait. Your problem is the robot? Because <laughs> he like, like, can't fucking believe it. Whereas I would be like, dude, your problem problem is fucking Lando. You are equally as stupid. Yeah, if you left Lando alone, you'd just never hear his name again. Yeah. The reason you, you had a problem last book is because you were obsessed with this guy. And if you weren't, nothing would have happened to you. But I get it, though, because he's obsessed with Lando and he can't believe that anyone would be obsessed with anything else. So he's just like, the fucking robot? That useless thing? Yeah, but Shanka is like, I refuse to believe it as a robot. And Gepta goes, all right, fine, I'm not going to push this. Yeah. This guy's an idiot, but I'm not going to make him, like, try and confront the fact that his entire reason for being is built on bullshit. So, yeah, he's just like, hey, look, this is the situation. I know where he is. I'm going to lead you to him to the special spot where, like, there's the Navy and they're blockading something or other. And we're going to go out there and I'll, you'll get my fighters and what ships I have. And your whole thing, and we'll just fucking kill Lando Calrissian, okay? And obviously also Buffy Raw. All right, peace, toodles. And he just, like, turns and walks out, and Gept is like, I should kill him where he stands! I won't, though. <laughs> For reasons. Because I, I won't. I need 
Certain things, yes, a pawn, he's a pawn. I hate to let him go, but I love to watch him leave. Look at the dumper on that guy. (laughs) Two concrete biscuits stuffed in a flight suit. Look at the Minoc muffins on that guy. That's right. His response to Gepta's agreeing with everything was just to go, Minoc muffins, and then just turn and walk away. Peace. (laughs) (laughs) So that's Shanga. He's back. I did not remember that he was back in this book, and I'm excited to see what happens. Oh. But yeah, that's it. That's what we get. We get a setup of there's a place with a bunch of weird monsters. We get that there's a navy there and that Roker, Gepta, and Shanga are joining forces to destroy two people that (laughs) could not give less of a fuck about them and that they shouldn't give a fuck about themselves. Yes, it's just amazing that our villains in this book want to murder these guys for stuff that they don't even know about and just... Just the the vendettas in this are so weird and stupid. It is amazing to me. It's part of the the joy of this because instead of having the like, oh, it's my it's my dad and he turned to the dark side, but I and now I'm gonna try and save him and it's so personal. Instead, it's like I don't know, man. I was fucking around and then a wizard got pissed at me and I don't know why and I don't want to deal with him and it's just it's so stupid. And I love that. I think my favorite thing here is that we're starting to do what we have not done in the previous books. The you're not so different, you and I shit is starting to foment because we we established that when uh, when Roker Gepta isn't like leading in a position of power and yelling at his underlings, he likes to float in the middle of a gravity free room, Uh, just like Lando does. uh, And he has a couple other things in there where he says stuff that is basically parallels of the shit Lando was just saying. So we're starting to set up the whole, uh, th- that routine. I don't remember if we're going to get to it or not, but Lord knows they're putting the work in to, to make it happen, which I feel like is wholly unnecessary. No, the, the antagonism between all of our various characters here is so convoluted and nonsensical and I just want it to stay that way. I want there to never be a true reason for anyone to hate anyone else. Yeah, I love that. I think it's an, an amazing way to do this because it, it makes sense. It, it The whole point with this, this guy's books is he likes to just basically write about like the follies of man and so on. So to have it be like, what are all the vendettas? Oh, they're they're fucking useless. They don't make they don't make a lick of sense. Oh, yeah. To make it be because, I mean, obviously, there's only three of these books and it's not like Gepta shows up anywhere else. I don't think you he have does. to assume Gepta like dies or gets fucked over in this real hard yeah and you know you read it and you're like dude if you had just not given a shit about this guy you probably could have done amazing fucking nonsense you've got all this power but you are bending all of your various resources to fucking with one dude that does not matter i mean i would love to the ends of the earth if they tried to work uh uh, gepta into the current shit (laughs) if they're like yeah you know uh technically rebels is taking place at about the same time as this whole roker gepta shenanigan come on give me a zon book about roker gepta (laughs) i want him on one of the shows wild-eyed gray robe mummy wizard pops in i shall kill lando calrissian uh yes and in the meantime i will take the calamari fritters <laughs> just just put him in the background of a shot of something give me that give me that much just be like wait a minute wait a minute he's that- un- he's incalculably old put him in high republic it won't hurt anything <laughs> he doesn't need to be mad at anyone or anything yet he could just be walking around doing machinations have him <laughs> Have it be that we meet him before he goes to Tund, mm. and he's like, hey, any of you guys know how to get to Tund? 
Yeah, put him in Yoda's high school. Yeah, you guys, you guys ever heard of this tund place? <laughs> I hear they're wizards. Anyway, you guys, uh, you guys got a map or wizards say you sounds like force tradition. Uh, no, it, uh, it, 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 it clearly is not. It, it so isn't. I fucking ah, uh, god damn it, Yoda, you little piece of shit. <laughs> Forever, I'll hate you. I'll hunt you to the ends of the earth. Dark side force tradition. It is. God damn it. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. There you there's go. there's the uh, the three, new book. First three chapters, and this is proving to be very exciting. Lots of space monster action, and uh, I, I assume it's going to be a really interesting one. Uh, so stick with us, and I hope you enjoy, and we'll stick around for more. Yep, and if you want more, you can head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash systemmastery. You can get our expanded, expounded universe. We head over to Wikipedia. We find... Some topics of interest, some dumb nonsense that has happened in the Star Wars universe, and we let each other and you mm -hmm. know about all of the things that we don't get to while we're reading these books. Yeah, and uh, that is available at the $4 per month tier. We've switched recently from per episode to per month. Yep. Uh, so at the four per month tier, you unlock that and the bonus content for System Mastery, getting you generally about four episodes of this and two of uh, bonus content per month. What a great deal. It's a lot of extra content. There's another level you can go up to as well at 10 where you absolutely get all of everything. Yeah, and it helps support the show. Mm -hmm. Let's just keep doing what we're doing. Yep, and uh, that's pretty and much... It's, and it's commercial free. And it's commercial free on the Patreon because we're going to start introducing uh, or rolling out ads on the regular stuff. Indeed. So join us on Patreon and you will not have those ads. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, and, and if you're thinking, oh, I don't mind listening to you two, you guys could spin off some ads and it wouldn't bother me. No, they're the bad kind. The kind nope. where... Just inserted ads. Inserted ads. They're bad. So you should come join us on the Patreon instead where you won't have them. Yep. That's uh, that's what we've got to offer you. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who are worried that uh, from last time when we when we said something about how uh, how Sage has to wear Wonder Bread, bag, uh, Wonder Bread bags for shoes, uh, that's that that was that was hyperbole. She's fine. She has lots of shoes. Just just putting that out there. We had like a couple of pledges that were like, buy your kids some shoes. Please, please <laughs> pledge to the Patreon so that Sage can have pants. <laughs> She has so many clothes, you no, guys. No, I'm kidding. She has pants. She is running around like a little Mr. Tumnus, though. <laughs> no, stop my daughter from becoming a Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you so much for listening to us. Yeah, and we'll see you soon. Until then, I've been Elan Sleazebagano. And I love floating around in space and just getting stuff in my little tentacles. In the universe of Starwall Odyssey, space is made out of the collective imaginations of all the thinking beings who live on various planets. These worlds are connected to each other through imagination. Common themes and ideas are strings between universes. And to get between them, people fly wooden ships that look like animals, which are powered by emotions. Also, people communicate with each other by contemplating orbs. The only way you can take pictures is getting stared at by a big psychic bug. And people have already declared victory in a war over the very concept of evil. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Starwall Odyssey follows the adventures of the hapless inhabitants of the Lucky Finn Tenement Building, who suddenly find that their apartment is actually a spaceship, and that they're lost in a sea of boundless imagination. It's an actual play starring me, James D'Amato, Mel D'Amato, Allie Grauer, and Drew Merzieski. 
as we playtest the No Kings system, which will hopefully one day be the Skyjacks role-playing system. It toes the line between weird and wonderful slice of life and high-flying space fantasy. You can sample the first five episodes by searching for Starwall Odyssey on your favorite podcast app, or get the whole thing by heading to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and signing up for $5 a month or more.